Addicts in the Dark is presented by Simply Sober, empowering recovery through apparel and support. Visit simplysober.biz. It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. There's been this ongoing disruption of the homeless encampments in Vancouver, my home, forcibly displacing the severely addicted, mentally ill, and vulnerable citizens, pushing them into isolation, severing their crucial connections, and plunging them deeper into the abyss of addiction. And while there are no quick fixes, the core issue lies not in the fact that there are homeless people sleeping in parks, but in the fact that there are homeless people who need help. If we were to recognize the inherent worth of every homeless individual, then they can recognize the worth in themselves. It's caller 36 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hey, how are you? I'm good. So uh, no names, no locations. All makes sense to you? It does. All right. Let's talk about your addiction. Yeah. Um when I was maybe 15 or 16, like my parents had a really extensive zipper cabinet and I, alcohol was probably the first drug I tried and I ended up getting hammered. But, um, pot was the thing that I really pursued when I was a teenager. Um, and there were some older guys that were seniors when I was a freshman that I was friends with and they always had pot and I was like, kind of like follow them around like puppy dog. Like they were super cool. And then eventually I had close friends who had prescriptions and I was able to get like Concerta and Adderall and stuff like that. And then I, I kind of like abandoned alcohol at parties because I was like, oh, like I don't like act funny I, like or like I don't re- like regret the things I say or do. Yeah. Stimulant use at parties can be enticing for some because, you know, while alcohol, you know, make you feel out of control and sedated. Stimulants will give you this surge of energy and heightened alertness. Both alcohol and stimulants give a temporary sense of empowerment and confidence, but stimulants can give substance abusers a a sense of control, a false sense of control over that social situation and or their life in general. Yeah. In retrospect, what happened is every time that I would like drink the way I wanted to drink, I would really ruin someone else's day or like really embarrass myself or both. And so I live in New England and I moved to the West Coast uh, with a partner. and. I was having really bad social anxiety and all this stress and I was alone except for them. And our relationship was like tumultuous. Like I loved them very much, but our relationship was difficult. And I started drinking like really heavily, um, which they confronted me about. So then I would just like pretend to sleep in until they left. And then I would drink the way I wanted to. And that went on for like a year and I would like drink at work or drink as much as I could before work because I always worked in restaurants. I've always worked in restaurants. I'm a cook. So like I would always try to get as hammered as I could and still work. And then we moved to a new city to a a big city in on the West coast. 
And this relationship, we met when I was 19, and we dated until I was 26. Like, we moved across the country together. I loved them very much. But the entire time, like, my drinking was, like, a huge problem. And I talked to my partner, and I talked to other people about maybe going to A, maybe I had a problem. Because, like, I was always hungover, and, like, my partner worked mornings, I worked nights, and I was always hungover. So, like, in the morning, I would just be like, fuck off. You know, I'd be still sleeping, and they'd be up, and I'd be like, you want to sit down and, like, I don't know, tell me a funny meme they saw or, like, a news article they saw. And I'd just be grumpy because I was waiting for them to leave for their job so I could truly drink the way I wanted to. Before we jump back into the phone call, I want to remind you of our exclusive offer from our sponsor for this episode, BetterHelp. As a valued listener of Addicts in the Dark, you can now get 10% off your first month of therapy. I understand the struggle of finding a therapist who specializes in addiction recovery and can provide the right support. That's why I want to share with you the benefits of BetterHelp. With over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists, they can match you with the right one based on your preferences and needs. You can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it via text, chat, phone, or video call. This level of support was essential in my recovery journey, and I firmly believe that therapy can be a powerful tool for anyone dealing with addiction, depression, anxiety, or any other mental health issue. So if you or someone you know could benefit from therapy, I strongly recommend giving BetterHelp a try. And to make it easier for you, our listeners, they're offering a special 10% discount on your first month at betterhelp.com slash quicknick. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash quicknick. So after a while of my drinking like that, and eventually that led to them separating from me and and they wanted me to live somewhere else while we sorted this out so i moved out i lived i moved to an apartment about 15 minutes on foot away and we still saw each other all the time like we were still very much involved with each other and at that time alcohol is not working for me like i'm hungover all the time i have horrible anxiety from it all the time like every time i drink i black out so what else is there so during 2020, when I went home, like I smoked crack for the first time. I did meth for the first time. And I got really into both those things. And I was also able to order meth online. So I was able to like get this stuff all the time. So what happened was I was really bad at it. And I didn't drink water and I didn't sleep. And I just did it all the time. And I had a psychotic break. And I thought like, Everyone in town was like in this vigilante squad that was hunting me. And so I stopped. Well, I stopped because I got hospitalized for a week. And all I did was sleep because I was in meth withdrawal. And then um, a year later, it happened again. Because I was still hanging out with the same people. And so I started having like really strong auditory hallucinations from doing meth. And they were voices of people I knew. And I got hospitalized like two or three times like the cops threw me down in front of my house like I was like wrestling with the cops like went for a cop's gun because my voices were telling me to kill myself and I was going to like shoot myself in the back of the cop car and almost the entire time I did math like a couple months in these things started to happen and drinking like my mom had like bought like 15 gallons of hand sanitizer during COVID and I was drinking it all because I wasn't because I was out of a job and I didn't have any money and I needed to get fucked up because 
I was hearing this person's voice who was like, you're a horrible person, and I just couldn't listen to it anymore. Sorry, I, I might have misheard this, but you're obviously referring to your partner with a they pronoun. But I, I think while you were talking about your partner talking about you, you referred to yourself as they. Um, yeah, no, and my partner, the partner that I talked about is they, them, and my, myself is she or they. So you are trans. I am. I'm asking because I'm wondering if your gender identity and addictions are struggles that intersect for you. Yeah, so it, um, it played a huge role in like me realizing I was trans, and also I've never met any other addicts who are trans in AA. The thing is, like, even in like gayandsober.com, where you can just find gay AA, I've met like one other trans person. Well, it's obviously an underrepresented community just based on the fact that you're the first transgender caller or openly transgender caller on the podcast. Um, it highlights the underrepresentation of transgender individuals in the addiction recovery community. And, and I feel like there's a very unique complexity to simultaneously navigating the journey of identity and addiction. They're, they're dual challenges that are linked. It's isolating to be an addict. I could imagine it also felt isolating if you couldn't find an affirming environment to recover in. Um, it really did um, because my favorite social media site was Tumblr. Um, so I read a lot about like gender theory through like first person experiences. And it made sense to me because everything I did felt like violence. And I'm not saying that, like, this is, like, I don't hate men. And men are okay. Like, it's okay to be a man. Um, but everything I did made me hate myself. And um, so what happened was during quarantine, like, I had all the drugs I wanted. And I didn't have to work. And I had all the money I wanted. And I, like, when I realized that I didn't have to, like, be in kitchens and, like, be this masculine person, I was like, so who do you actually want to be? And that person is feminine. Um, I think a lot of the things that I wanted to numb were like guilt and shame. Like I, it felt horrible being a guy, especially dissociative. Like all the, like, you know, I wanted to separate from my physical being because now like I've been in transition for two years and I'm actually like, people are starting to treat me like as a woman or like not even, but people, they don't treat me like a man. And my desire to use drugs is significantly less, especially like my desire to use like our drugs is a lot less. See, that's fascinating how the, the drugs can serve as a coping mechanism to numb the pain associated with your gender identity struggles at the same time when your gender identity is affirmed, you shift your relationship with substance use. Yeah. Um, so are you in recovery or active addiction? I am still in current addiction. Um, I still use stimulants and alcohol. And so you've mentioned that you've taken some recovery steps in the past with meetings and so on. As a trans person, what has it been like for you inside of the non-trans recovery community? My experience in the recovery community is that the best thing in the world is to hear people like you, is to hear your own story. But, like, I can get to one meeting, and I'm the only trans person there. So, like, I do relate to people's stories, but no one exactly like me who can tell her story. I, like, I don't want to be in an echo chamber, but 
that's kind of what AE is. That's like how you get in. That's how you get connected with people. Yeah. And everyone thinks, and one of the things like most of my meetings I go to on zoom, my in-person meeting, like, and I don't want to like say bad things about it. It's a really good meeting, but it's all straight white people. And like, I'm like, I'm a white person too. And they'll have people talking about like the battle between God and the devil. Like it, it, so it can be very religious. It leans towards conservative is how it feels, which is not inherently bad, but it can be alienating to people. Find the meaning in the mess and the magic of every day with Melissa Armstrong coaching. Go to strongarm.ca. Do you find at least in the recovery community, there's generally a, a level of responsiveness and respect and an effort from people to try to connect with you? Yes, they do. This could very much be a me problem. Oh, no, 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 not not what I'm getting at. I'm just wondering if during this conversation you've felt affirmed and connected because although you and I differ in our gender identities, our shared struggle with addiction unites us. So by engaging in this conversation, we have the power to create a meaningful impact, fostering understanding and compassion for people like yourself. Um, yeah, because they always talk, like, they always talk in AA about, like, you need to focus on the similarities. So I don't, like, I also don't want, like, some cis person to not feel connected to my story because they're cis. Like, especially in this conversation, first and foremost, I'm an addict. Like, I'm just, you know, like, I'm just like you. Right. Which is why I hope this conversation can serve as a catalyst for any trans person to seek the support and help that they need. I hope so. I mean, like, I, I, I love podcasts. You know, I live in small town, New England. Um, that's where I have, like, heard most of the most trans people's thoughts and feelings. I would love to be one of those people. Finding the strength to seek help is challenging in itself. But doing so when transgender rights have found itself at the height of polarization only fuels that isolation. From banning books in schools to limiting access to transgender healthcare, the message is clear. It's not okay to be yourself. So what can be done from the lens of addiction recovery? Community activists in several states and provinces have been exploring recovery centers specifically tailored to the LGBTQ community, a place where an addict can see their true selves and in others seeking help around them. In doing so, the hope is to send another message, a message of safety, security, and authenticity, removing another barrier in the road to recovery. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. Addicts in the Dark is brought to you in part by Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca.